This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Merry Christmas. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin. If we have met in the last two months and you don't recognize me, my name is Kevin. I shaved my beard. And, uh, and we're going to talk about Christmas miracles today. And I'm pretty sure my wife believes in Christmas miracles because I shaved. So it's very exciting. It's very exciting for her. Uh, a little bit... A little bit sad for me, but I, I'm working through it. I'm working through it. Thank you, my good man. How about that sweater? Isn't he looking sharp? Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. Hey, it is Christmas, and it's going to be just a wonderful time. And uh, in case you have not heard it enough for your liking, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, and happy holidays and season's greetings and Feliz Navidad and any other gall greetings that you want to bring in today, I will take it because it is going to be such a wonderful day. Uh, Some of you might have been thinking over the course of this series, why aren't we talking about the Christmas story? Now, I will tell you, I pray into each of our teaching series, and I just sense God leading us in different directions. I sense God leading us to this series, I believe in God, but to walk us into the holidays. And at the same time, this weekend I woke up and I thought, I miss the fact that we aren't talking about the Christmas story right now. So if you're feeling that, you're not alone. I picked this series, and I'm feeling that. But, but, I want to just, I don't want to go through a whole whole Christmas season without talking about the Christmas story at least once. So I have something special for us this morning. Uh, Before we get into the message, uh, I created a Christmas poem for us. Um, And and there's this great book that a local author named Cheryl Wagner put out called The Night Before Christmas, and it's the Christmas story set to Twas the Night Before Christmas. But before I knew she put that book out, and it is really good, by the way. You can pick it up at Copperfields or Hallmark. But before she put it out, I wrote my own Christmas poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And so I thought maybe we could just enjoy that together. Would that be okay if I shared that with you? If it's not okay, too bad. Um, I've got the microphone, but while I'm doing that, you can get your start here cart ready. You can fill that out. You can get your teaching notes out, and then you can just enjoy this moment with me because I am full of Christmas spirit. So here we go. My version of Twas the Night Before Christmas, a dramatic reading by Kevin Finkbeiner. (laughs) Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the manger, the creatures were stirring because there was a stranger. The people had come to Nazareth with care because they knew that a census soon would be there. The children were snuggled all soft in their beds while dreams of Jewish freedom danced in their heads. And mamas in their kerchiefs and dads in their caps were just settled in for a well-deserved nap when down in the manger there arose such a clatter only animals stirred to see what was the matter. If you looked in the window, you'd see in a flash a king had been born with no crown and no sash. Now the moon on the breasts of the hills they were at gave the shepherds a great view of sheep where they sat, when what to their wandering eyes should appear but an angel in the night that produced a great fear. He shone in the sky so bright and so strong, they fell to their knees. They thought something was wrong. Don't be afraid, they heard the angel say. I've got good news that will bring great joy to all people today. A king has been born in a manger so lowly. He's God's only son, so you know that he's holy Then more rapid than eagles, their courses they came. A whole host of angels all make up their names. There was Gabriel and Garth, Charlie and Christopher, Dimitri and Dagon, but they didn't invite Lucifer. They raised their voices, singing songs above the trees. Glory to God in the highest, on earth among people. Goodwill to whom he is pleased. When they all went away, the shepherds said to one another, let's 
go find this king and his newly blessed mother. And dry leaves before the wild hurricane fly when they meet with the obstacle mountain in the sky. So up to the manger, these shepherds, they flew. With no time to shower, they smelled like sheep poo. When they, but they had to see Jesus, whom the angels had sworn would be lying in a manger wrapped in clothes to keep warm. When they saw Mary and Joseph, they told them what they'd heard from the angels that evening, every single last word. Mary treasured these things up in her heart, wondering what they might mean, but thankful for her part. Then the shepherds went home, giving God all the glory for the things they had heard from the angels' great story. At the same time, wise men from the east watched the night sky. They were called the Magi. Let's not get into why. They were watching the stars for a prophecy they knew, that a king had been born without much ado. A star shone in the west to show them the way. It would guide them by night. It would lead them by day. When they finally reached Jesus, they gave him, we're told, gifts of myrrh, frankincense, and even some gold. And you could hear them exclaim as they munched on their crackers, Merry Christmas to all. May the bears beat the Packers. Amen. Amen. There you go. That's just a little a little something from me to you. Merry Christmas. Tis the season. Tis the season. I believe in God, but that's our series. We're wrapping. So good. That poem was so good. I may stick it on YouTube for you to watch this Christmas Eve. You're welcome. I believe in God, but And the question we've been asking is, I believe in God, but there's all these things in the Bible that I don't fully understand or recognize or believe in. And today we want to talk about this. I believe in God, but virgins don't generally have babies and other miracle stories. I believe in God, but what about all these miracles? Because the Christmas story is full of miracles. Angels proclaiming Jesus' birth, a virgin having a son, heavenly choirs, stars leading people to Jesus, God speaking in dreams. Take the miracles out of the Christmas story and you don't have much of a Christmas story. But we live in a scientific age where we, we trust things that can be tested and reproduced. And miracles by nature cannot be, trusted, cannot be tested and reproduced on a regular basis. Otherwise, we call them regulars or everydays, or mundanes, but we don't. We call them miracles because they are miraculous. And on week one, I said this, because here's what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to try to try to prove miracles. I said on week one of this series, if we can agree on the essential that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again. And there's plenty of evidence from hundreds of eyewitnesses. There's, there's evidence in the Bible. There's evidence in Roman history, in Jewish history. There's evidence from a multitude of witnesses that there was someone named Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. And if we can agree on the essential, then we can agree on what Jesus says about these other things. I, I would say it this way. Um, if someone can, can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to go with him. I'm just going to go with him on what he says. And Jesus believed in miracles, and Jesus performed miracles. In fact, if you look at the biographies of Jesus' life, he performs no less than 49 different documented miracles in the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the question is, what do we do in this scientific age with the miraculous? 
Well, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he believed uh, in the teaching of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus. He didn't believe in the miracles of Jesus, so he actually, he cut the miracles out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of the, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, uh, and he put it together in a document that came to be commonly called the Jefferson Bible. And I've read this. I've read these documents, and I'll tell you what. You suck the miraculous out of Jesus, and there's not a whole lot there. So we could go that way and say, well, we'll just discount miracles. But if we, if we do that, then we're discounting a broad cross-section of what God says in the Bible. We could say, well, miracles happened then, but they don't happen now. But if we do that, we discount a whole cross-section of, of brothers and sisters around the world who document and see and have experienced God's hand miraculously moving. So I would say this. I, I believe that we should, we should say, yes, there's miracles. That Christmas is actually a season of the miraculous that draws our attention to it. And then live in the tension that miracles by their very nature are not every day. And when I say, when I say miracle, just to give us kind of a working definition for today, here's what I mean. Uh, a miracle for today, our definition would be when God supernaturally steps into our lives to do something that supersedes or displaces the laws of nature. It's different than when God fills Jesus' followers with his spirit and then gives us the power to do the right thing. If you're struggling in your marriage, God can absolutely give you the power to be the kind of husband or the kind of wife that he designed for you to be and to, to heal that marriage. And that is miraculous in a sense, but that's not the miraculous that I'm talking about. If you're here today and you're struggling, you're in debt up to your neck, and, and there's always more month than there is money at the end of your month, then God can supernaturally, through his word and through the Holy Spirit, he can give you tools and tips to get out of debt and to live financially free. And that is miraculous, but that's not the type of miracle that I'm talking about today. I'm talking about when God steps in and supersedes or displaces the laws of nature, when God does that on our behalf. And and the question that, that I want to talk about is why? What's the purpose of miracles? And, and why do miracles happen sometimes and not other times? Because any of us who's ever prayed for miracles, who believes in miracles, has had this experience where we've prayed for someone, maybe ourselves or a loved one, or, and God moves and a miracle happens. And then we prayed for somebody else and it didn't happen. And we're left wondering why. I have a, a friend named Nick and uh, when Nick was in high school, captain of the baseball team, captain of the football team, all-around good guy. He was the kind of, you know, like girls wanted to date him and guys wanted to be him. That was Nick. And we were at, uh, Nick was at Newport Beach, and uh, he dove into the water, and the current took his hands up, and he hit his head on the sandbar, and he was paralyzed from the neck down immediately. And we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would heal him. And today, he's paralyzed from the neck down. He's a lawyer. He is a motivational speaker. He is an amazing man. And he's paralyzed from the neck down. I have another friend named Mark who two and a half years ago was in a snowmobile accident. And they said he was going to be paralyzed from the neck down. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And Mark just ran a 5K with his son uh, about a month ago. So why Mark and not Nick? You know, when we were pregnant with our first child, the doctor said, we think you're going to have a miscarriage. We prayed and prayed and God did the miraculous. And our daughter's here. I love it. She's, oh, she's amazing. And then we got pregnant again. It was like, hey. And we prayed and prayed for this baby with fervor, and we had a miscarriage. 
we didn't pray any less. In fact, we prayed more. And then we, we got pregnant again and prayed and prayed and, and have landed. And this guy is just amazing. I love it. But none of the pregnancies was easy. And God worked miraculously in two, but not three. And, and it's left us with the question sometimes, well, why? Why? And I want to start by talking about that for a second. I believe there is a reason why. And it goes deep into our understanding of the world that we live in. See, we live in what's known as an already not yet kingdom of God. We spent a long time talking about the kingdom of God uh, a while back, I think in the spring of this year, how, how God is bringing this world where Jesus is, is the leader and the ruler of this world, where God is moving miraculously on our behalf and God is interceding and we're God's children in the kingdom. And one day God will ultimately pull all things together in eternity. But we live in this in-between already not yet kingdom of God which means that while God is working in this world, sin and death still have a lingering effect in our lives. Sin is the things that we think and say and do um, that, that hurt us, that hurt other people, that separate us from God. And it doesn't just impact us. We're told that, that, that all of creation groans from the effects of sin. That it's like the births of of childbearing. That's the effect of sin on this world, and having never experienced that firsthand. But uh, being there with my wife, I can say I'm a pretty good authority on that. (laughs) Said no man ever in his right mind. But I'm up here, and she's way back there. But like the whole world is groaning with the effects of sin. And Jesus has ultimately overcome sin. It's like at the end of World War II, after uh, Japan had, had surrendered, there were still little pockets of Japanese soldiers who did not know the war was over, who kept on fighting and fighting. And the war had been won, but there were still battles going on. People still died in the meantime. You can picture, you can picture uh, God's work like that. The, the war has already been won. What Jesus did on Easter when he, when he gave his life and rose again is he ultimately defeated death. He had the final say. He created a way for us to experience God's forgiveness, be welcomed back into his family, to walk with him in this world and to have a place secured for us in eternity. The war has been won, but there's still the lingering effects of sin, which leads to death, which, which is why the death toll still hovers right at 100% because of sin. And that's why sometimes, sometimes God answers and steps in, and sometimes he doesn't. Paul puts it this way. Paul wrote a a lot of the New Testament, and Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. Uh, And I want to skip down actually to verse 24. So at the bottom of the screen there, it says this. The end will come eventually when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, that's all the, the evil in the world's. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And catch this, verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Death is the final enemy. And so when I talk about God supernaturally suspending the laws of nature, interceding on our behalf, it's actually a signpost to what God will ultimately do for everyone someday. See, one day God's going to make all things right. No more sickness, no more pain. Who's nervous right now? I'm like, no more broken body parts from falling off of stages. One day he will. 
And sometimes God steps in. Sometimes, miraculously, he steps in to point us towards the fact that there will be hope someday. That this world we live in now with its pain and its brokenness does not have the last word. But he does not always step in because sin still has a lingering effect in the world. And the question I want to talk about today is what's the purpose of miracles? Why does God do them? Why does he step in sometimes? Why does he not other times? And to get into that, I want to look at a story of a miracle Jesus does. And it's one of my favorite miracle stories because it not only shows us a miracle that happens, but it gives us a framework for why God chooses to step in at certain times and and what he's trying to do in those moments. And it's this great story. It starts off like this in Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered such a large number that there was no room left, even outside the door. And he preached the word of God to them. And one of the great things about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is they always give us clues to have us digging more. They say, I'm just going to give you a little phrase, a little sentence, a little word, a little idea to make you turn your brains on. If you have kids, how many of you ever said to them, like, turn your brain on? Come on, turn your brain on. You snap at them. Am I the only one? (laughs) Jesus, uh, uh, Mark is saying this. Something happened. Did you catch the phrase? A few days later. And he's inviting us. A few days later than what? What just happened? And so then we have to turn back in our Bibles and look. And I'm glad you asked. A few days later than what had just happened in Capernaum. See, Jesus was at one of his best friend's house, a guy named Peter. And Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And and Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law miraculously. She's healed, and people in this little town of Capernaum, they heard about it. So they brought all the people who were sick and and diseased and had illnesses and and brought them to Jesus. And that night, he did like this miracle show. It was like healed, healed, bam, 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 bam. He's hitting foreheads and everything. I mean, everybody's going down. And everybody's healed. Everybody's healed. And then everybody goes home. Jesus drops the mic and leaves town. He goes to pray early in the morning, and then he says, I'm going to the other towns to preach and teach. That's why I came. I didn't come primarily to be a miracle worker, although my miracles point to something. I came to tell people about God and about this kingdom. So he goes to these other towns, and then a few days later, he comes back and words out, Jesus is back. And everyone's thinking, I want more miracles. Give us more miracles. So they crowd into this house and they're slamming into the doors and they're peeking through the windows and they're like, they're trying to see and little kids are squirming under. It's like Walmart on Black Friday. Everybody's pressing the doors. Everybody's pressing the doors because they want to see Jesus do a miracle. And Jesus starts to preach a sermon to them. Verse three says, and some men came and they were bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because this huge crowd was there looking for a miracle. They made an opening in the roof. Now try to picture this. An opening in the roof above Jesus. They were were digging through and they lowered the man down on a mat. See, most roofs in Jesus' day were flat clay roofs. They had big crossbars and then they were covered by layers of clay. And you would eat up there in the summer. You would sleep up there in the summer to keep yourself cool. And these guys start digging up the roof, this clay roof, in the middle of a sermon. And everyone's listening, and it's packed, and you know if the fire marshal's around, he is freaking out because his house is full, and all of a sudden, dirt starts dropping from the roof. And everybody's like, murmur, murmur, I think we're going to die. Jesus, now would be the good time for the miracle. And a hole opens up, and everybody stops. 
what would you do if you were Jesus preaching a sermon? And you get interrupted by a whole, it's vandalism. God's not a big fan of vandalism. What would you do? Would you be angry? Would you be like, I can wait. Listen, I'm Jesus. I got all eternity. I can wait. Would you be, would you like, everybody out. I'm trying to preach. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 5 says this, when he saw their faith, the faith of these friends, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. He's not angry. He's not shut down. He's not annoyed. In fact, Jesus seems impressed. He says, son, which is a very personal title for somebody. Family, you're welcomed in. See, paralysis was seen as a curse in the Jewish mindset. You'd been cursed from God with this. Either your parents had sinned or you had sinned. Maybe you sinned in the womb. That was a, a common thought. And, and now you're paralyzed because God has cursed you. And now, now Jesus, who's claiming something about himself, he claims to be God in the flesh, sent from God. God says, you're not cursed. You're actually my son. And this guy, this guy, when the rest of, of society would have pulled back from him, this guy, has friends who come to him, who lift him up, who bring him to Jesus. Now, let's just pull off to the side of the road for a second. Do you have friends like that? That was a good time to be thinking about that. As we get Christmas cards from acquaintances, as, as everyone's letting us know on Facebook whether they've been naughty or nice, it's very helpful to know for our gift giving. Do, do you have friends? Do you have friends like that? Like through thick and thin sort of friends? come to you in every situation sort of friends, friends who know you, like really know you, and like you anyway. Not just love you, not just I'll pray for you, but, but like genuinely like you, want to spend time with you even when you're just like a mess. You have friends like that? Do you have friends so like you don't need to call Uber because you got friends? You know what I'm talking about? Do you have friends like that? Even when you made a mistake, you have friends like that? I like Uber, by the way. I'm just saying, you have friends like that. If you don't, if you don't, can I encourage you, get into a life group. Just try it out. Life groups are these small groups of people that give us the opportunity to try to form friendships and seek God together. Doesn't guarantee you will find friends, but hey, it's a good place to start. It's a good place to look. You want some drinking buddies? Go to the bar to look for them. You want to find some friends who will help point you to Jesus? Church is a good place to try. You know what I mean? Go where you want to go. I heard a pastor say one time, in your life, you can either have help or you can have privacy, but you can't have both. Think about that. That's a, that's a whole other sermon. We're not even getting into that today. You can have help or you can have privacy, but you cannot have both. This guy chose help over privacy. He chose bring me in. And Jesus says to him, seeing their faith, son your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, amen, Jesus, forgiven sins. If you're here today and it's like, it's Christmas, you thought I should come to church, I should try this out, or you're here because your spouse dragged you along and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're thinking right now, rightly so, your sins are forgiven. Who cares? He's paralyzed. He wants to walk. Why, why is Jesus saying this? And you know what? You're not off base to think that. Jesus had done miracles. That's why everyone's crowding around. 
you just heard the story. He healed a whole village, and now this guy comes in. He's paralyzed. He wants a miracle. He wants to be healed. And at first glance, Jesus is not going to give him the very thing he wants. He wants physical healing. And Jesus says, your sins, that thing inside of you that causes you to think, say, and do things that are destroying your life, your sins are forgiven. Let me ask you a question just to think about as we continue our time together. If you had the choice to either have a physical ailment healed or to be healed of the destructive patterns that are wrecking your life, which would you choose? Because listen, if you're here right now and you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, sins are forgiven. That's great. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, sins are forgiven. The guy can't walk. Let me ask you though, which would you prefer? If you could only have one, to be, to be freed, forgiven, and healed of the patterns that are destroying your life, your marriage, that cause the most regret, the most heartache, or to have physical healing, which one would you choose? Let's continue our story. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, and blasphemy is to say that you are God. Not, I speak for God, I've got a message, I am God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, now, could you imagine? You're thinking things, all of a sudden, Jesus is like, hey, I know what you're thinking right now. Like, I know what you're thinking. You're super into this message right now. I can see it in your face. Yeah, I know what you're... I don't know why you're laughing at that, but okay, okay. Merry Christmas to all of us. I know what you're thinking, Jesus says. Why are you thinking that? They're like, I'm not, I didn't say anything. He's like, I know, I know. Why are you thinking that? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk. Another interesting question. It is easier to say your sins are forgiven, isn't it? Because no one knows. Your sins are forgiven. They kind of feel the same. What do you mean my sins are forgiven? But they're both equally impossible to do. I couldn't, I couldn't walk up to you and say, be healed. And you would just be healed. I, I have no power to do that. At the same time, I can't walk up to you and say, all your sins are forgiven. I can forgive you when you sin against me, but you've sinned against other people. And I might be your pastor, but I don't have the power to forgive your sins when you sin against other people. Only God can do that. It's impossible for us. Verse 10, Jesus goes on. I want you to know, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And the man got up. He took his mat. In the full view of all the people, and I don't know about you, but I picture these scenes. Like, he's down. Who knows how long it's been since he's moved. And all of a sudden, he's like, he takes his first step wobbly step. I kind of picture, if you remember the old Willy Wonka movie where he's like this, right? And all of a sudden he loses his cane. He does like a cartwheel. This is what I picture this man doing. (laughs) He's like, and he just, and the people were amazed and they praised God 
And they said, we've never seen anything like this. Never. And in this story, Jesus is doing a healing, but he's also helping us understand the nature of miracles, why God chooses to do them. And so I want to I zoom out, and I want to talk for a few minutes as we round the corner together. What's the purpose of miracles? Why does God do them sometimes? And the first one we already talked about, God performs miracles to give us a taste of this kingdom that's coming. That we live in a world that is still inflicted, ravaged by sin. By personal sin, by interpersonal sin, by national sin, by international sin. Even creation groans under it. Natural disasters, flooding, you know, sub 32-degree temperatures outside in Petaluma. Even creation groans under it. But Jesus says there's going to be a day when there's no more sickness, no more death, no more disease, no more pain. And miracles interspersed in a community of faith. Miracles give us a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like when we're told there will be no more weeping that Jesus will, in fact, wipe every tear from our eyes. And God performs miracles also to show us that he has authority to forgive sins. Verses 10 and 11 talked about that. Sickness, disease, and death, those are effects of a sin-scarred world. Jesus says, I'm going I'm to supersede the effects of a sin-scarred world in certain cases to show the world that I can deal with the root cause that I have the authority to deal with the root cause. The religious leaders said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, I'm going to prove to you that I am God, that I can forgive sins, that that's why I came into this world. You know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to do a miracle to show you that I can forgive sins, to prove that God exists, to prove that God cares about the affairs of his people. When Jesus came at, at Christmas, what we're going to celebrate, he came miraculously to prove to us that God cares about the affairs of his people. We're going to talk more about that on Christmas Eve. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss Christmas Eve. It's going to be so powerful and set us up well for Christmas morning. And God performs miracles to strengthen the faith of those who believe in him. Did you notice what verse 12 said? All the people were amazed. One of the things we love about Christmas is the childlike awe that Christmas brings. We love it, don't we? We have a little bit of it. Our kids have it. It's a beautiful thing. God puts miracles in because I believe he never wants us to lose that childlike awe that God can work powerfully even in the midst of a broken world. He can work powerfully to increase our faith. All the people went away praising God I think he does it so that we could say, God, I know, I know that one day you'll clean all this up. And in the interim, I'm going to trust you. And he says, boy, I, I'm just going to give you a little taste of what that one day is going to look like. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So what do we do with this information? Well, I would say this. We ask God to do a miracle. We ask him. Christmas is the season of miracles. Is there something that you, you want from God? Is there a, a miraculous intervention that we want? And by the way, there's no need to preface it with, God, if this is your will, 
I know Christians, we like to do that. That's like, in Jesus' name, amen, if this is your will, blank. That's how we like to start and end. It's like how we, how we dial and how we hang up. It's like, God, if it's your will, would you heal? In Jesus' name, amen. It, it sounds very nice, but God's not a formula. God doesn't need us to twist his arm. God, in fact, loves superseding on our behalf. He loves to inspire faith. He loves to draw us closer to himself. He loves to give us a taste of eternity. So God, if you have someone in your life, whether it's you or a loved one, and you need a miracle, why not ask? I can't guarantee God's going to do it. In fact, we live in a world that is scarred by sin, which is why God does not always answer miraculously in this world, even though we know that he will ultimately make all things right someday. But why not ask? And know why you're asking. Miracles. Miracles strengthen our faith. Miracles give us a chance to to talk to our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus about Jesus. When God does a miracle, I'm telling you, it's one of the easiest times to talk about God. This miracle in Mark chapter 2 was there for a purpose, so that you will believe that God has the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to do a miracle. We can ask for miracles because we want we want people here with us a little bit longer. There's nothing wrong with asking for that. That's not selfish. Even though we know that even when God does a miracle now, at the very, at the very best, he's extending life a little bit longer. But ultimately, that extension gives us the opportunity to know him more so that we can live in eternity with him forever. And then test it. If you think God's done a miracle, we test it. I've talked to Christians before who say, uh, you know, they've got cancer and they believe God did a miracle. And they say, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I have faith that God has healed me. Listen, friends, that's not only bad theology, it's reckless. It's reckless with your life. And it does not take into account the people who love us when we don't go and get things tested and checked out. So we test it. Jesus said to the man, test it. Get up. Get up. Take your mat and walk. What's he saying to him? Test it. See if I did it. I remember when uh, God worked miraculously. I've had back issues my whole life, and at certain times, God has superseded. In our, our first year of marriage, we were at this conference, and my back went out so bad that I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. And I was supposed to be on this prayer team for this huge conference, like, like 20,000 people, and I was supposed to be praying with people, but I couldn't move. Like, there's no— and someone came and prayed over me. That's the great thing about being on a prayer team. Someone came and prayed, prayed over me, and, and God healed it. Like, he put my back back together. And I remember walking around like, how, how far can I? Hey, this is feeling pretty good. This is nice. Testing it. You got to test it to see. And then third, we give God praise. When God works miraculously in our lives, isn't it easy just to move on? Hey, God, thank you for the healing. Back to business as usual. We got to give him praise. Sit with him, worship him, and then point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Miracles are designed to point people to Jesus. My uncle right now uh, is going through cancer. Melanoma that's metastasized throughout his body. Um, Four lesions on his brain. uh, Four cancers in his brain. And um, he's fighting. He's fighting for his life. Three kids, early 20s, down to late teens. Uh, and he lives in Chico, and he came to stay with us because he was going to have 
this, this pinpointed radiation that they only do in San Francisco. So he came and stayed with us for a week while he did radiation. And the biggest uh, tumor in his brain was, was big, like, like four. I'm going to get it wrong. And then you're going to be like, that's the bigger than his head. Because I am an English person, not a math person. I believe it was like four centimeters. Does that sound right? Somebody give me a little picture. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, four centimeters. Thank you. Four centimeters when they had tested it a month before. And it was going to take a week to blast this thing with radiation all week long. And he had this other um, medication for his body, uh, because, but the, it wouldn't hit his brain. So he'd have to do this radiation all week long. And I remember I took him to the hospital that morning. We're there at like 5 in the morning, 4.30 down UCSF. And um, he's about to go in to get this halo put on his head because they have to hold it just right. And I thought to myself, and maybe you can recognize this, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a nephew and a son and a grandson, and I would have no problem praying for you, but it's something with your family. Like, I feel like the kids still. You ever go home on the holidays and feel like you're still a kid, even though you're in your 30s or 40s? And so my uncle's going to get fitted, and I had this thought, I should pray for you. Like, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I should pray for you. And then it was like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous to pray for you. I know. Oh, me of little faith. And I didn't pray for him, and I felt horrible. Like, what a lame pastor. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to pray for your uncle. And he went in, and he got tested, and I, I let that go. I, I forgave myself, asked God to give me a chance to pray for him later, and um, came out, and we went into the actual radiation, and the doctor said to him, well, I've got some news for you. That four-centimeter cancer has shrunk down. It, it collapsed in on itself, and it shrunk down to the perfect size for this pinpointed radiation. So now we don't have to shoot at it for four days. We're just going to shoot at it this one day, and it's done. You don't have to do any more radiation on your brain. And he looks over at me, because I told him I was praying for him, which I was. He looks over at me. He's like, hey, you've been praying for me. I was like, I have. And I start to tear up, and he starts to tear up. And he doesn't know what to do, but I'm from New Life, so I give him a big old hug. You know, I'm like, we're huggers in this church. And I lean over. I say, can I pray for you? He says, Yeah prayed for him, and we're crying. He's, he's strapped into this whole machine and praying for him. And I said to the doctor, has this happened? This happened a lot. Is this normal? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't do this. She's like, I've never seen it in the history of, of my time in medicine. I've never seen this happen. I said, well, the, there's a word for that. That's miraculous. She's like, well, it's very unusual, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. God did a miracle. Now, my uncle's still fighting for his life. I, I don't ultimately know what's going to happen. The cancer in his body is moving around, but I tell you what, I'm praying for a miracle. I tell you what, it strengthened my faith that day. I tell you what, we got home, and we had a little conversation about God on the way home, about how God moves in our lives and how I see it and how I, I believe that God can do a miracle. I'm praying that he will do a miracle. Ultimately, I think he's, he's trying to point, I said to my uncle, point you back to him. See, that's the way that this plays out, and there's no guarantees. But I think if God, if God does step in sometimes, why not ask? No strings attached. We know that ultimately God desires to heal all things, to make all things right. Jesus came at Christmas to show us that God cares about the affairs of his people. He died at Easter and rose again to show us that he has all power and all authority to forgive sins and to end death. But we live in this in-between kingdom that's already here and not yet fully realized. And in the in-between, we have the opportunity 
to go to our Heavenly Father and say, Dad, would you, would you move? Would you point us towards what will be eventually with something today? This Christmas, I would just invite you, why not pray for the miraculous in our lives, in our relationships, in our friendships? And then when God moves, be ready to give him praise, to point people towards him. If you're here today, and this is all interesting stuff, but, but brand new for you, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, like I've been saying, God does miracles to point us to something greater, to the fact that he has the authority to bring ultimate healing in our lives, to forgive us of our sins, to restore those places of brokenness in our own lives, in our relationships, that he does that to bring us into his family, that when we become his followers, he actually leads us in life and he secures a place for us in eternity. On Christmas, we celebrate that God left heaven, his eternal dwelling, and came to earth to pitch his tent, to, to camp out with people, to point us back to God, our loving Heavenly Father. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with God, I want to invite you today. He has all authority. And it starts as you welcome him in and allow him to lead. And I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance, if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, to go ahead and do that. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, thank you this Christmas season that it is a time of the miraculous. When you superseded, when you, when you came in, suspended the laws of nature, and came to dwell among us, Thank you, God, that you do miracles, that we see them, that we hear stories about them, that we may have even experienced them in our lives and in our families. Thank you, God, that they point us towards a great reality, that one day you will heal all pain and hurt and suffering. And God, we look to that day even when we experience pain on this day. God, I'm asking that you would do the miraculous in the lives of my friends and myself to strengthen our trust in you to help us follow you more fully and more freely? Would you keep us from having strings attached to our prayers? But would you help us to come boldly to our dad who loves to answer, who loves to move, who wants to partner with us in the ups and downs of life? If you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to do that right now. You can do that by inviting him to be your leader and your savior. You can pray a prayer something like this, and there's no magic formula, but it's a time of committing yourself to God. You could say these words. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin and that when you rose again, you broke the power of sin and death and destruction and you made a way for me to come back into your family. And I want to walk with you, God, so would you come into my life? God, would you forgive me of my sin? And would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk in partnership with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.